Knowing and standing for the truth. That's what we've been talking about in this series of 1 John. Knowing and standing for the truth. Uh, specifically this morning, the title of the message is Motivation for Pure Living. Um, last week in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-27, through 27, we examined several characteristics of the Antichrist. And we learned that they, the Antichrist, abandoned Christ and fellowship with Christ's people. And we learned that they deny the truth that Jesus is the Christ and they seek to deceive the faithful. They seek to deceive those who are walking with Jesus Christ because, uh, as we said, uh, they'll give a message that is appearing to be the right message. It sounds good, but yet we know that they'll twist it and contort it to make it uh, appease themselves. Um, They seek to deceive the faithful. Because of who they are, believers need to have a solid foundation of knowing who Jesus Christ is. It's so important, we talked about last week, not giving into a counterfeit gospel, not get, uh, giving into uh, fake truth um, that just is only something that will tickle the ears, as we saw from First Timothy. So as we get into this next passage of Scripture, we're going to look at First John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And as we study this next text of Scripture, we're reminded that there will be a day when Jesus will come again. Amen? We look forward to that day, and uh, I know in our family, oftentimes one of the things that we notice is that if we're driving down the road and it's kind of a cloudy day and the sun is trying to poke through and there's just a little opening and all of a sudden those beams come down, right? It's kind of a reminder to me that uh, one day the heavens are going to open and Christ is going to return and I look forward to that day. Uh, And the text tells us that we need to abide in him so that we may have confidence rather than shame when he appears for the child of god christ's appearing is great motivation for us to maintain a life of purity a life of abiding in him and uh so we need to ask ourselves often where's our focus is there anything that's distracting us from walking with the lord and and staying in in sync with him and so uh, uh the idea of abiding in anything that is not centered in christ is really futile And so let's just take a moment and read verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3, then we'll pray and get into the uh, message this morning. It says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Because our beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I just pray uh, Lord, that you'd bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, bring conviction where conviction is needed. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be glorified through all this said and done through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, right away in verse 28, if you'll notice, it says little children. It's really a generic term that's talking about believers, those who claim to know Jesus Christ, those who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, referred to as little children. And then he basically says this, abide. If you claim to know Jesus Christ, if you claim to be saved, if you claim to know him, he says, you are to 
abide in Him. To abide. And so we said last week that uh, to abide meant to rest in, to continue in, to remain in. It means to be a part of something. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But the focus of our abiding is in Him. We live in a world where there are a lot of distractions, right? Anybody else ever distracted? Squirrel! I mean, you, you, right? There's distractions all around us, right? We're make, we have to make sure that as children of God that we are abiding, resting in, continuing in Him and nothing else. And that's not hard to do. I mean, it's hard to do when there are so many distractions around us. So the question for us as believers is, are we abiding and are we abiding in Him? All of us are abiding in something or someone. And so what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at everything that is in this world, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we know that the world is going to pass away. So all of us are abiding in something or someone. For a lot of people, they're abiding in their income. As long as they have a good income and they can rest in that, they can continue in that and be assured of that, they're okay. For a lot of people, as long as they have a nice home, they can abide in that and rest in that, continue in that, they're okay. For a lot of people, as long as they have that position or they have that wealth, they have that materialistic thing for whatever it is, or they have that friend, they have that relationship, as long as they can do that, they feel okay. See, all of us are abiding in something or someone. But the question is, are we abiding in Him? And not in things. First Corinthians reminds us, it says, for all that is in this world is going to be tried by fire, right? So if it can be burned up by fire, it's probably not something that we should invest in as far as our long-term scope of things. Because we know that we're just here for a little while as believers, then we're going to spend eternity in heaven. So we live for what is to come, not for what is. And once again... Easier said than done at times because we have to deal with the flesh, the here and the now, and what's going on in our lives as we, as we wake up every day. But God's Word reminds us to abide in Him. Well, how long are we to do that? How long are we to abide in Him? Well, till He appears. And it says, and when He does appear, we will be with Him. How much greater could that be than to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven forever? Um, a reward, if you will, for faithful abiding. Now here's something we've got to be careful of. Oftentimes in our abiding, we look forward to the one day that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. But let's just remember, when we get to heaven, it's not just an insurance plan to get us out of hell, right? Sometimes we have the idea that, well, if you just get saved, if you just say a prayer, then you won't have to spend eternity in hell, right? But isn't it so much more than that? Isn't it more about the relationship of what's here and what's now with him? Isn't it more about spending eternity with the one who gave everything for us? So it's not just an escape from hell card, although in His grace and His mercy, He does allow us to escape hell and the torment of hell and be merciful enough to allow us into heaven through our faith in Him, but it's all about the relationship. It's not about the get-out-of-hell-free card by saying a prayer. We need to be careful of that. So our abiding in Him is all about our relationship with Him and what, what it's going to happen when we arrive with Him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Isn't that going to be exciting? Now, I haven't really gotten to the text yet, but think, I want you to get your mind thinking about heaven just a little bit. I mean, what does this life have to offer? 
Think about that for a moment. What does this life have to offer? Uh, we were, well, we were talking about this in the last service, but I remember we were sitting in college, and I can remember the second time Clinton got elected as president. And I remember people all around me where they were crying, they were boohooing, and they were like, wow, I can't believe this just happened. And by comparison, many of us would like to go back to that compared to what things are today, right? I mean, that was relatively normal compared to what we have going on today. But yet, people have their focus on all the stuff rather than in heaven. Philippians reminds us over and over that our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. And we're to have joy in that. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So when Christ comes, we get to spend eternity with Him forever in glory. And here's the thing. The exciting thing to know. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't that exciting thing to look forward to? To know that right now our home is being prepared for us, and that one day when our time on this earth is done, we get to go to heaven if we know Him as our Savior. Isn't that exciting? Man, about all four of you are excited about that. I mean, get excited about that. We get to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord one day. And yes, He is there preparing the home for us. But really what this reminds me of is family. It's family. One of the things I like about Sundays is not only that it's church family, but it's also physical family. Where the kids are coming over, their friends are coming over, a house is usually full, and we spend time together as family. And we get to know each other and we encourage one another and we have fun with one another and we laugh with one another. It's all about family. But when we're part of a family, it's something bigger than just ourselves, right? It's something bigger than ourselves. And typically, it's about pleasing each other and having fun with each other, encouraging one another. But one more note on this. It's not a matter if, of if Christ will return. It's a matter of when Christ will, re- will appear. So it's a matter of Christ will appear. Are you ready for his appearing? Think about that just for a moment. I don't know all of you. I've seen most of you from time to time. Uh, I've seen some of you have visited for a few weeks. Some of you have been here for a few years. Some of you have been for many years. But the one thing that we don't always know is, what's your background? I would love to be able to say, man, every person in this entire congregation, absolutely, without a doubt, 100%, knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're on their way to heaven. But that would be a bold statement, would it not? Because I don't know. I mean, I'd be, I wonder if I could say, you know what, you're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven. I'm not sure about you, but you're going to heaven. It'd be wonderful, but you know what, we can't do that. Because there's only one that knows that, and that's God. Of course, you, if you've made that decision to put your faith and trust in Him. But He says, one day, we get to look forward to heaven, because He's there preparing a place for us. And this talks about what we do until that day comes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 54, I don't know if I'll read it all, but it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
Think about that just for a moment. When you think about the aspect of heaven and what we have to look forward to one day, that ought to get us just a little bit excited. If you haven't read it lately, you ought to take your Bibles and read Revelation chapters 21 and 22 and just get in your mind's eye a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment, there's not going to be no coronavirus in heaven. I mean, think about that just for a moment. 2020 will not be the year of coronavirus in heaven. I mean, think about everything in this life that can defile. It says nothing can enter into heaven that can defile. Think about that for a moment. There will be nothing that is not perfect in heaven. Nothing. Just let that sink in. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more cancers, illnesses, pains. Think about that. No more diabetes, no more arthritis, no more, I mean... One day, it's all going to change. And then it says, verse 54, So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. When we die, there's actually victory in that. Because as God's children, we'll spend eternity with Him. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We don't know when Christ will come. And I think that's all the more reason to live a pure and holy life until He comes, because we don't know when He's going to come, so we need to start now. Right? We need to make that a point of our daily living right now. So back in verse 28, it says, And now, little children, abide that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Uh, here's something interesting. What does that even mean to abide? Yeah, we gave a definition, and we said that by definition, it means to rest in, it means to continue in, it means to remain in. It's, it's the idea of a relationship in a family that we're coming together, we're staying together, we're sticking together. Yes, we understand that. But what does it really mean to abide? Here's where the Greek language gets a little interesting once in a while. Do you realize that the word abide is, an, is a verb? And it's an action verb. So put on your thinking caps just for a moment. So he tells us to abide, but the word abide means to rest. How do you actively rest? Think about that just for a moment. It means to actively rest, actively remain in, actively stay where you are, but it's a job sometimes in our life, correct me if I'm wrong, to make time, to take time, to make our relationship with Jesus Christ a priority because there are so many distractions. So is it not in action because we must actively work at resting in Him? Isn't that amazing? You need to actively rest in him. And once again, the word that comes to my mind is relationship. Abiding in him through a relationship. And once again, I believe that abiding in him will give us as believers three things. Number one, abiding in him gives the believer confidence. Confidence. Why is having confidence an important thing? Well, let me help you understand this concept just for a moment by sharing this illustration with you just for a moment. Imagine, and let me just kind of just say this for illustration purposes to make it work a little bit. Just, just go with me a little bit. Let's pretend it's your children that are doing this. Your teenage, young adult children that are doing this. So imagine that some close friends of yours, 
young adult, uh, decided to go on an extended vacation, and they ask you to house sit for them. You're thinking, cool, they've got the latest, greatest flat screen. It's 85 glorious inches. They've got every satellite you know, station you can imagine. They've got every sports team you can watch. I mean, I, I mean, you can watch baseball, basketball, golf, football. It doesn't matter. They, I mean, they've got a, a smorgasbord of channels, and you're thinking, sweet, 85 glorious inches of anything I could possibly want to watch. Yes. Now, the, rule, the regular rules apply. You know, I don't want you partying over here. I don't want you, you know, you know, getting into things that you shouldn't be getting into. I don't want you to have friends over to the house because, you know, we just want you to keep an eye on everything and just make sure everything's good and, you know, just want somebody to be there while we're gone on vacation. So they tell you, you know, you know, make yourself at home, but, you know, don't, don't be inviting friends over. Don't be inviting, you know, don't be having parties in here. Don't, you know, whatever. But here's the problem. First couple of days, man, that TV is awesome. I mean, 85 inches. You, I mean, you're watching the latest, greatest shows on this thing. It's in high def. It is just awesome. But you're bored now. You've been there a couple of days. Yeah, it's old hat already. I mean, eh, the newness, the uniqueness, it's all worn off. And all of a sudden, your buddies that you've been cell, on the cell phone with and texting with, they're not. And you're in your mind, just for a moment, you're thinking, ah, they told me not to let anybody in. Oh, just for a little while, it won't hurt. I mean, come on. Yeah, come on in. So you're kind of shooting the breeze, talking and everything else. And, you know, and after a little while, you know, it's all good. No, no, nothing's happened. And your friend leaves. And then a couple days later, you're bored again. I mean, you went to work, but now you're going home. You, you want to sit in the Lazy Boy. You want to turn this big screen TV on. There's a big game on tonight. And all of a sudden, it's not just your friend. It's his friend and a few more friends. And pretty soon... The big game is on. There's four or five of you in there. And all of a sudden, you know, the one guy that brought a football, you know, you're tossing it back and forth. And all of a sudden, and you hit the China Hutch. And before you can even realize it, you got a, you got a knot in your stomach. Your heart is beating hard. And you're looking and saying, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Immediately, you come back to that statement. Don't want anybody else in the house. Don't want no partying taking place. I just want you to house it. And you know in two days the owners are going to be back. Let me read that verse again. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before, at him before his coming. Question. How much confidence is that young person going to have or that person who's house-sitting going to have knowing that the owner of the house is going to be there in two days? Think they're waiting for them to get there so they can just say, you know what? I know you know. I know you said not to have anyone over, but you know this thing happened. You know, I, you know, it's no big deal. We just broke a couple things in the China. No big deal, right? You, you think that's what he's thinking? Nah, because they were told, they were warned. Don't, don't, don't not, not, nothing, nothing going on while we're gone. Just, just keep an eye on the house. They're going to wait for the owners to get there with a lump in their lump in their throat, their heart beating, their stomach hitting the floor because they have to fess up to what has taken place. Well, here's the thing. You have been asked to house sit in a tent not made with hands. And eventually our Lord is going to return. That's all of us that know Jesus Christ, right? 
we have this tent not made with hands, God's word says. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been purchased with his blood. He owns us, and we're here to house it until he returns. Question, will we anxiously await his appearing? Or will we stand in shame, wishing, hoping that we had lived a different kind of life? Hoping that we had, or wishing that we had done more. That we had been more obedient. How much confidence will we have when we stand before the Lord one day? Because we will all stand before God one day. God's word reminds us, as it is a point unto man once to die after this, the judgment. We will all stand before God. And as believers, we will stand before him for the works that we've done in our body, whether good or evil. We will stand before God and give an account. John chapter 15, verse 7 reminds us, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. He says the key to living a life that God will bless is abiding. It is walking with Him. It is resting in Him. It is walking in righteousness with Him. So number one, abiding in Him gives us uh, confidence. Number two, abiding in Him gives the believer a clear conscience. Notice, once again in verse 28, he says, that we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. So the idea of confidence here is kind of a different thought in our minds. It's probably not the idea of someone just being bold and I'm confident and I can do anything. You know, it's not so much that, although it has an aspect of that. The idea behind confidence is this. It's the idea of freedom to talk clearly and boldly without fear. To talk clearly and boldly without fear. It's that freedom to, to openly communicate. It's the idea that, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. You know, when I was asked to house sit, I did what the, the owners asked me to do. I took care of the dogs. I took care of the house. I made sure it was all safe. And when they returned, I left it in good order. And because of that, I'm looking forward to them getting here. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with them about their trip. And then, I'm getting, and then they're going to you know, come back in and I'm going to leave. And it was all good. It's a freedom to clearly talk and to talk boldly about anything before the Lord. Some people, I'm convinced, will stand before God one day with a total lack of freedom, a total lack of confidence, because there will be regrets. I should have done this, I should have done that, I could have done this, could have done that, and I chose not to. And because of it, there will not be this kind of confidence at his appearing. So the believer should have that confidence, but it also gives a clear conscience because you did what was right in other words there's a clear conscience because you have honored the request Um, you have a freedom to speak clearly and boldly because you have honored the request when you have disappointed someone or let someone down very badly do you feel the freedom to have a conversation with them i don't want you to raise your hand because i know you probably have never this has never happened to you anyway so don't raise your hand but think in your mind have you ever told somebody that you would do something and then you forgot i said don't answer (laughs) but you know what there have been times when someone has asked me to do something and i said in good confidence that i would do that for them and i forgot i know it's hard to believe but i have 
many times. And just for a moment, you want to do it. You want to be sincere. You want to say, hey, I'm going to be faithful and do what I was asked to do. And I told him I would do it. And you have every good intention. But for whatever reason or for multiple reasons, it didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, that thing that you said you were going to do last week or last month or six months ago, then all of a sudden you saw the person that you told that you were going to do that for. What goes through your mind? you want to run up to him and give him a hug? Or do you get that kind of a knot in your stomach like, oh, shoot, they're here, and I told them I was going to do this, and I didn't do it? You ever had that feeling before? I have. And it comes a point that you either deal with it or, as God's Word says, in a different kind of a application of it, but our conscience is seared so you don't even think about it anymore because you just know you're never going to do it. But initially, there's that lump in your throat and that knot in your stomach that says, oh, shoot, I told him I was going to do it, and there they are, and I'm, I can't avoid them because if I kind of go the other direction, they're going to know I'm avoiding them, so I've got to just face them. Why? That's natural. So when we do not have a clear conscience, you don't want to face the music. You don't want to face the person, so to speak. Verse 29 says, The believer has learned a valuable discipline in his life. He proves that he belongs to God by his daily practice. He sees that Jesus Christ is righteous and he strives for righteousness in his own life. Look at verse 29. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So consider 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the, uh, and, and I'm sorry, for whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So in other words, sin does not characterize his life. It doesn't mean that he is sinlessly perfect, right? There's only one person that that can be applied to, and that's Jesus Christ. But when we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we'll have the ability to overcome sinfulness and areas of sinfulness. In other words, we shouldn't have habitual areas of sinfulness that we never get over. Sin does not characterize the life of a believer because he walks in victory. In 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And once again, it comes down to that relationship, our faith in him, our trust in him, our commitment to him, our obedience to him. In 1 John 5, verse 18, it says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And it's not, once again, the idea of being sinlessly perfect and never doing anything wrong in your life. It's the idea of sin taking hold of your life and controlling you. Because we do have the Father, or, or the Holy Spirit living within us to give us victory. This discipline and obedience uh, leads the believer to have a clear conscience before God because he's dealing with it when things come up. And then number three, abiding in Him gives the believer credibility and authenticity. In other words, his actions back up what he says is in his heart. In verse 29, the end of it, it says, You may be sure that everyone that practices righteousness has been born of Him. So once again, our obedience, the ability that we desire to live righteously, it gives credence or credibility to what we say is in our heart. 
So the actions actually verify the words. Consider just for a moment, 1 Peter 1, 13-16 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who had called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So Jesus Christ says, I'm not just telling you to do something that I didn't do. I'm telling you to do something that I am and that I am doing. I'm being holy. Be holy as I am holy. And once again, from verse 29, it gives credence. It gives credibility. It gives authenticity to our walk. It's one thing to say one thing, but it's another thing to do something completely different. You can't say one thing and do something different. That discredits who we say we are in Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11-13, through 13, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And here's the key, verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will be on with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, will look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Once again, characteristic of the fact that when we spend eternity in heaven, it will be a righteous place, a holy place, a, sin where, or a place where no sin can enter in, nothing that defiles. And it says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I hope we're looking forward to that day. I am more and more as I get older. Um, didn't think too much in my teenage years. Didn't think too much in my 20s or 30s. But it seems as we get older, as we get more mature, we start thinking about those things a little bit more, don't we? And um, I can only imagine if God tarries, if I make it to my 60s, 70s, whatever it is, I can only imagine that the desire for heaven will only grow stronger because of what I know will come one day. So once again, the life of obedience and righteousness gives credence and credibility to the believer's relationship with God and his abiding in him. Go back to the beginning of that text there. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Just think about that for a moment. Love. Love is a strong motivator. It was a motivator for God to send His Son to die on a cross. And according to 1 John 4, it's a motivation for us to love others because He first loved us. And he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. He loves us. I was saying earlier, I know this probably never happened in your life. I'm sure you as a parent were never guilty of this. But we know, in the grand scheme of things, God's love is not conditional. He loves us. He doesn't say, hey, get rid of every bit of your sin, and then I'll love you. He doesn't say, just be perfect and holy and righteous in every aspect of your life, then I'll love you. And I'm thankful for that because I couldn't do it. I'm thankful that God loves us. Unbelievably. But I know as a, as a human being, fleshly human being, we would never admit it, but sometimes our love is conditional. Let me give you an example. Hey, I want you to go cut the yard. I'll get to it. No, really, I need you to get out there and get the yard done. I, I need you to clean the room. I, I need you to wash the dishes. I need you to take the trash out. I need you to and fill it whatever 
whatever you want to do, fill in the blank, as a parent, that you want to see your kids do. And I know you've never done this before, so maybe it's just me, but we have all these expectations that we give to our kids, right? And let's admit it. When they're faithful at doing what you ask them to do, and then they say, hey, Dad, can I have 20 bucks to go out, to, go out Friday night with some friends? You don't think twice about it. Here you go. But what happens when the tables are turned and it's like, come on, all week I've been asking you to get the yard done. All week I've been asking you to do this. All week I've been asking you to do that. And all of a sudden now they say, hey, Dad, can I have 20 bucks to go out with the guys Friday night? What goes through your mind? Like I said, you're probably more perfect than I am in this area. But what goes through your minds? Can you not do some of the things that I ask you to do? But, but we give in and give it to them anyway, don't we? I'm glad God's love's not conditional like that. Because I would never get it. Because I can't be good enough. And I'm reminded even through my own kids that I need grace. And I need mercy. And he said, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on you that you should be called the children of God. Why? Because you're part of his family. There's the relationship. That's the relationship factor that that causes us to want to abide, to rest in Him. The fact that He is gracious. The fact that He is merciful. The fact that He is kind. The fact that He does provide. The fact that He does protect. The fact that that He is gracious. That He is merciful. And the list could go on and on and on. All stemming from the love that He bestowed upon us as His children. And then he goes on to verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. I want to kind of put a fleshly application to that phrase right there. It has not been revealed what we shall be. I just have to say that when, when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to be about 6'4", skinny, not going to be fat anymore. Um, I'm going to be smart now like I wasn't in this life. No, I'm just kidding. I can't control any of that. I might be shorter in the next life. I don't know. Maybe I'll be the same. I don't know. I can't control what I'm going to be like in the next life, right? We can joke about it. We can laugh about it. But here's what we do know. Even though I may not know what I'm going to be like, I do know I'm going to be like him. And that will probably be better than anything I could imagine in my mind. Think about that for a moment. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. And we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as He is pure. So He talks about what this means to live and abide in Him. So abiding in Him gives us this confidence. Abiding in Him gives us uh, a credibility and authenticity. It backs up what we say is in our heart. It gives us the idea of uh, um, the whole concept of, of, of when I get there, I'm going to be like Him. And when I'm like Him, we shall see Him as He is. And everything changes. Not like this world. 
So once again, the life of obedience and righteousness gives credence and credibility to the believer's relationship with God through his abiding in him. One more verse before we conclude. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These verses go hand in hand with what the last verse of the passage says. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. In other words, there is something that you and I need to be doing ourselves. In other words, we should be conscious of the idea that we're not perfect, that we do sin. And there's probably more sin in our lives than what we're willing to admit. I shared a testimony a long time ago of, of something I, I learned in one of my classes I took at college. I'll, I'll never forget it. I shared it before, but I'll share it again. But Dr. Vaughn told us, he said, hey, in the study of prayer class, there are some things that we should pray that most of us don't pray. He said, for example, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know, if we know of something, we kind of, throw ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we'll deal with it. You know, if I yelled at Ben this week, oh, Ben, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled at you this week. I was just having a bad day, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? If I know I've done something, it's easy to say, oh, I've, i I got to deal with it. But I think there are times in our lives that there's things that we do that we don't even realize it. Sometimes we walk through and we say stuff and we don't even realize that what we said came across really badly. But we don't think about it. So he said, I would encourage you to pray, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Okay. What's that mean? <laughs> so he said, just take a tablet and a pen and get alone with God and start to pray that prayer. So I did. I grabbed a tablet and a pen thinking this was going to be a waste of time. And I walked out to the end of the soccer field at Northland Baptist Bible College. At the end of the soccer field, sat down on, at the far end near a rock, and I just said, okay, Lord, search me and try me. See if there be any weak way in me, Lord. I took it real flippantly at first. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, remember that person that you said this to? That was a lie. You remember how you acted in this situation? Yeah, that was wrong. Remember so-and-so that you said, yeah, that wasn't right. I couldn't believe it. Pretty soon I'm filling up this whole page full of things that I had done that I had not really even thought of. And what that meant is, is I had to go back and talk to some people. I had to make some phone calls and tell some people I was wrong and ask for their forgiveness. Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. It says, verse and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. There are times that we need to get alone with God and say, God, is there some things in my life that aren't right? Second Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, having these promises, behold, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When's the last time we got alone with God and said, God, there's some things in my life that aren't right. Would you reveal them? And see what he does. See, most of us think we're pretty good. 
Most of us say that, hey, we get up, we go through our day, and we're generally nice people. We're generally kind to others. We're generally willing to help someone if they ask us. We think we're pretty good people. And from a human standpoint, that may be very well true. But what about our sinfulness before a holy God? Are there some areas of sinfulness that we've not dealt with, that we need to deal with? So he says, And now, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So there is a part of this process that requires us to actively rest in the Lord. And when we make it a point to actively rest in him, he gives us the ability to walk in righteousness. Right? And as we walk in righteousness, it gives credibility to the fact that we do really know him or that we may not know him but if we do we'll keep working on becoming more like him which requires us to deal with issues of sin that pop up in our life and this is not just for preachers or missionaries or Sunday school teachers this is everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. See, Jesus Christ, as we looked at in First Peter 1, he didn't just say be holy. He says be holy as I am holy. That's our standard. It's not just to be like someone else. That doesn't matter. We don't compare ourselves with our best friend who may be a good Christian or the preacher who may be this or that or the science school teacher. We compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. And when we stand before him, how do we line up? Or are there some things that we need to deal with? It all comes down to our abiding. Are you abiding? Are you actively resting in him? It's a priority of your life. To actively rest in him, remain in him, to abide in him. And then the more we do that, the more righteous we can be. And when sin pops up, we deal with it. We purify ourselves even as he is pure. Let's pray.